through Romans chapter 15 and verses 14 to the end of the chapter, which is page 1142 in the Red Bible. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Why? Why? For a word so small and simple, it has many profound layers to it. On one level, it can be used as a quest for basic understanding, like a young child interrogating you, asking... Why is the sky blue? Or why doesn't the tap run out of water? And then on a deeper level, it can be asked to understand uh, the underlying reasons behind something, such as, why did you say that? But on an even deeper level, it can help us to get to the heart of everything that we do. Asking why can unearth what our purpose in life is what our motives are, what we really believe about something, or what we really believe about ourselves. Why am I the way that I am? 
one 19th century philosopher once said, he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. So I wonder, what would you say your why is? What's the thing that gives your life meaning? That means you can bear with whatever life throws at you. The unexpected phone call. The tough situation at work. The hard relationship. It's an important question, as what we believe at our core drives everything that we then say and do. In our passage this afternoon, we find Paul starting to bring together uh, his letter to the Romans to a close. Now, in many ways, he follows his convention, um, like he does in his other letters, of finishing a letter with a mixture of personal notes and prayers. And yet, Romans is, is slightly different. In the first 11 chapters, Paul has outlined the what, the, of what we should believe about the gospel. And then in 12, uh, chapters 12 to 15, he then unpacks how that should be lived out. But here, in our passage this afternoon, Paul provides context as to why he's writing to them, why he hasn't visited them yet, and why he's so passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, don't forget, this is the man who fiercely persecuted Christians before Jesus transformed him on the Damascus Road into a Christian himself and an avid church planter. So here we find Paul making it very clear what his motive is and what his purpose for life is, that it's from Christ, it's for Christ, and the result is that Christ is glorified. This is Paul's why. And my prayer this afternoon is that we can joyfully say the same and bring glory to Christ in whatever God has called us to do and how that plays out in our lives. So, using this structure, we're going to walk through the passage and see the why, which is God's mission, the what, which is Paul's calling, and the how, and that's Paul's plan. So, firstly, why? God's mission, verses 14 and 15. For a bit of context, love a good map. Uh, Paul has just finished his third missionary journey and is now in Corinth, in Greece, in the middle there. Uh, and he's now writing to the, uh, the Christians in Rome about his plan to go to Jerusalem, then Rome, then on to Spain. I hope that helps. Now, Rome, being the very centre of the known Roman world, is the strategic place for Paul. And although he's never actually been, chapter 16, which we find we'll hear next week, suggests that many of the believers in the church knew Paul. But it, imagine if you're a Roman who didn't know Paul. And you're not confident that Paul's understanding of the gospel is the exact same as yours. Well, Paul preempts this. And uh, he gives you and all the other Roman Christians that confidence by starting his letter in chapter 1 with a summary of the gospel. That God's mission is to save and transform sinners of all backgrounds through the Jesus' death and resurrection. So as we turn to the start of our passage this afternoon, Paul is encouraged that, uh, by their faithfulness to that gospel. That's, that's God's mission, the, the why, that is already at the heart of this church in Rome. Despite some issues between Jews and Gentiles, as we've seen in the church, Paul has heard of their faith, 
being reported across the world and is encouraged by their stability. Yes, every church has their issues, but Paul sees evidence of their lives being transformed by Jesus. And we see this in verse 14. If we look down at verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. It must have been really encouraging to hear this. And it's because it's of their stability that Paul hasn't gone to visit them yet. And we see that later in verse 20. You see, Paul's barometer for the church is how much they are living out God's mission. And so rather than taking time out to go and visit them, instead he writes to them whilst he's in Corinth. And what does he say? Well, he reminds them to remain faithful to the gospel. Verse 15. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me. If you've been following us uh, through the book of Romans this year, it's quite clear that Paul has been pretty bold with them at times, whether discussing uh, the seriousness of sin or uh, the call for unity within the church. But he makes it clear that these aren't new things to the Roman Christians. Even the most mature church needs reminding of what they already know of the gospel. And so Paul uses his God-given authority to do just that. As elders and as a church, we hope that God would say similar things of us and to us as we seek to live out our purpose statement, being a people who have been and are being transformed by the gospel. So I wonder how you have found Romans this year. It's been really encouraging uh, to hear multiple stories of how God has used this book to remind people of the depths of our sin, how immense God's grace and kindness is, of how the gospel has transformed and continues to transform our lives for his glory. This is God's mission, and this is our why. You see, it's no different to Paul's why. Therefore, it's important that we remind ourselves of it and individually be asking ourselves, is this still my why too? Is this still my why? Is Jesus and his gospel the thing that is shaping my motives, my purpose in life? My emotions, my reactions, my decisions, how I use my time, my money, my words, my gifts. Yes, Jesus is the one who saves us, but Jesus and his power is is who continues to shape and transform us, which means we never move on from the gospel. It's Jesus who's our king, and no one else can give us the power, the strength, the security, the confidence that he gives us. It's futile looking anywhere else. That's why we keep coming back to Jesus again and again and again. And when we do that by his spirit, he continues to transform us. And what's even more amazing is that when that happens, it gives Jesus glory. So let the wonder of the gospel continue to fill your imagination May it not be just head knowledge, but may it go down into our hearts as well. Let Jesus and his mission be the why behind all that you do. 
so that we are filled with goodness and knowledge, so that we glory in Christ as we join in God's mission. Perhaps you're listening to this and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian and know Jesus as your King and Saviour. It's really good to have you, but please don't hesitate to give your life to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. And he wants to transform you and give you a purpose and security that can never be taken away. If you want to chat more, please do come and speak to me or to Sai or whoever you came with. We'd love to chat more. Well, now we've explored the why, let's look at the what. Uh, what God has called Paul to do in verses 15 and 22 to 22. In these verses, we get a unique insight into Paul's understanding of his own work, the very work that has prevented him from going to Rome. Let's read from verse 15. Look down. Yet I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul makes it very, very clear that his calling is to reach the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And it's a calling that Jesus himself gives him. It doesn't mean that Paul has somehow stopped caring about the Jews. I mean, he himself is one. But instead, Paul knew that the gospel needed to go far and wide, out of Jerusalem to the whole world. And God has chosen him to be his chosen instrument to take the gospel to them. So if his calling is to reach the non-Jews, I wonder if you noticed how Paul used Jewish language to describe his calling that this is his priestly duty and his Gentile converts are an offering acceptable to God. Seems odd. Why does Paul do this? Well, in the Old Testament, it was the role of the priests to mediate between the Jewish people and God by offering sacrifices so that people could relate to God, albeit in a limited way. Now, this means the Gentiles over here were barred excluded from any kind of relationship with God, and they were regarded by the Jews as defiled. But once Jesus had offered himself up, sacrificially to pay the price for sin, once and for all, it meant that now even the Gentiles could be in relationship with God. So how does Paul mediate? Well, only in the sense that he carries out God's mission to the Gentiles. It's not that Paul makes them acceptable to God. It's God who makes them acceptable to himself through the gospel by the Spirit. It is God's work. This is God's mission, and it brings him glory. But still, it it was Paul's specific calling to reach the Gentiles. Now, if I was given that calling, I think I'd crumble under the pressure Or if I managed to do anything right, I think I'd be giving myself a pretty good pat on the back. But how does Paul feel about it? Verse 17. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. Yes, Paul's role was unique in the course of salvation history and pivotal for the growth of the church. And yet, he always puts the spotlight on Jesus. And when he says, um, therefore I glory in Christ, it's the same word that he's used three times already in Romans that has been translated as brag in Christ or boast in Christ or rejoice in Christ. And what's remarkable is that if you read through the book of Acts, Paul has so many reasons to boast about his accomplishments. Time and time again, though, Paul acknowledges that everything he's achieved has ultimately been accomplished by Christ through the power of the Spirit. Yes, Paul was an unusually gifted man with a very unique calling, but it was always Christ at work through him. Always. Therefore, Paul wants to make it very clear to the Roman readers that they understood that. And I'm confident that God wants us to understand that about ourselves too. To illustrate, I wonder if you remember years ago uh, on Top Gear where uh, they'd have famous people come on the show and race the reasonably priced car around the test track. Now, it didn't matter whether they were an F1 driver like Lewis Hamilton or an old actor like Michael Gambon. Every guest loved doing it. So, but yes, Lewis Hamilton clearly has a God-given gift to drive that car in a way that Michael Gambon couldn't dream of. But at the end of the day, both men are entirely dependent on the car to get them around the track. Without the car, it's impossible to complete the task of driving around the track. So when we look at Paul, we can thank God for his gifts and specific calling. But Paul makes it very clear that he and we can't complete the task of living out God's mission in our lives unless we depend on God's power at work through us. Without Christ, we can't do it, no matter what our gifts and callings are. Now, this is really, really liberating, isn't it? As although our mission, our why, is the same as Paul's, our calling, our what, will be different. And what had uh, Paul's calling looked like so far? Well, he explains in verse uh, 19 to 22 that it's always been his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. In other words, he was a pioneer and wanted to plough the hardest ground rather than work in places where there are churches already. Another map. And in Paul's mind, by God's grace, he achieved this by planting churches in all the major cities between Jerusalem, the bottom right, where he started, to up to Illyricum in the top left, the furthest he'd been. Now, that is very impressive. That is some CV in and of itself. But this was Paul's God-given calling. And Paul did it through Christ's power and to bring Christ's glory. It's all about you and I. 
Well, I very much doubt that our lives will look like Paul's. But what has God called you to do? What does your what look like? We know that our ultimate purpose is to live out the gospel as our worship to God. But it's important to stress that this can be done in any number of contexts and any number of ways. In our work, in our homes. These are places God has called us to live for him. Now, there are some callings that we do have some choice over, like where you work or where we do, um, where we, uh, what social or sports clubs we're part of. But there are other callings that we have less choice over if you're a husband or a wife or a parent or a teenager, for example. But in every area of our lives, we, they are under the lordship of Christ. They are from him and are for him. And as we walk with Jesus in all of these areas, we bring him glory. Do you believe that? Like, really believe that? Or are there areas of your life that you're slow to see are from Christ? And therefore slow to see that they could be used to glorify him? Is there an area of your life that you think is ultimately for your own enjoyment rather than ultimately for God? If so, take delight in remembering that every area of your life is a gift from God for us to enjoy with thanksgiving. And when we do, it brings glory to Christ. So having covered the, the why and the what, Lastly, we see how this plays out for Paul as he lays out his plan in verses 23 to 33. So how did God's mission and Paul's calling express itself? Yes, in Paul's words uh, as he writes to the Romans and also in his decisions and his actions, which we see in, I think, three areas. Firstly, uh, number one, Paul's plan to visit the Romans on his way to Spain, verses 23 and 24. In these verses, Paul says he's been longing for many years to visit them. He clearly cares about them. And he now plans to do so as he passes uh, through Rome on his way to Spain. Why Spain? Well, back in that day, it was the most westerly point of the known world. And Paul clearly wanted to reach it for Jesus. He was so convinced of God's mission and is calling to reach the Gentiles for Jesus, that he was willing to go to the ends of the earth for it. Well, secondly, Paul's plan to serve the Lord's people in Jerusalem, verses 25 to 29. Before Paul goes to Rome and then to Spain, he intends to go in the opposite direction down to Jerusalem to deliver a monetary gift from the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Who's the gift for? Paul says, to serve those Christians in Jerusalem who were struggling with poverty. That's very kind, but why were they giving it? Uh, to be clear, it could, we could read these verses and think that they are done somehow out of guilt towards the Jewish race. But actually, it's out of gratitude for the grace that came from the Jews, namely Jesus and the gospel. And how was it given? With great joy. 
twice we're told that they were pleased to do it. And so Paul plans to deliver uh, it to them. Lastly, uh, Paul asks for support and prayer for the journey, verses 30 to 33. No doubt, Paul trusts that God will provide everything that he needs to make this journey. And his, his expression of that is to ask the Romans for prayer and support. It's not a contradiction, it's an outworking of that trust. I wonder if you've ever needed to send a letter asking for prayer or support. I know that some of us, some of us in the church, including myself, have worked for Christian charities where we've needed to send out letters of support to various friends and family and churches to enable them to do the role um, ahead. And in a way, this is Paul doing the same thing as he asked them to join him in his struggle by praying for him and supporting him. Now, as support letters go, this is probably the greatest of all time. This is how Paul plans to see God's mission and his calling play out. But what happens? Well, we know in the book of Acts that he does reach Jerusalem and he does deliver the gift. But while he's there, he's arrested and he is then escorted up to Rome, not in the way that he had planned, um, but he's escorted to Rome to face the Emperor Nero. He lives there under house arrest for two years. But then we never find out, at least in scripture, we never find out what happens next. We don't know whether he actually gets to Spain or not. Either way, we see Paul's plans, his words, um, his actions, all guided by God's mission and his God-given calling. And using this model, we therefore need to ask ourselves whether our plans, our words, our actions are guided and shaped by God's mission and our God-given calling and gifts. Our how is guided by our why and our what in the way that we use our, and the way that we plan and use our God-given time and money and gifts. In what we pray and how we pray for it in how we conduct ourselves and speak to people, in how we share Jesus with those who don't yet know him. When these things are guided by Christ's gospel, we give him glory. Therefore, we can have a day where we don't speak to people about Jesus at work, but we're still bringing glory to Jesus in the way that we're using our gifts and how we conduct ourselves. We can spend time over Christmas with unbelieving family members where we don't speak about Jesus, but we're still bringing him glory in the way that we are selfless, patient, and kind with them. You see, to be a Christian, you don't have to speak about Jesus, but we at least need to want to. Because if we have God's mission as our why, we will share God's heart for the lost even if no one sees the visible outworking of it. So I wonder, where does all this hit home for you? Do you believe that Jesus is for you? That he wants to work in you and through you? Are you encouraged to hear again that God is most glorified in us when we live our lives for him? If changes need to be made for the sake of Christ's glory, 
then depend on Jesus' power and ask him for help in that area. Or it might be that you're slow to see your words, your plans, your decisions, your gifts, your work, your time, your money, as ways that you can bring glory to Christ. Be encouraged that all these things and more are your worship to God. So use them with joy and with thanksgiving for the sake of others and for the glory of Christ. So as we close, what's your why? Christian, find your motive and purpose in life in Jesus and his mission. What is your what? Remember that your calling and gifts are from Jesus. And what is your how? In your plans, your words, your actions, delight that they are ultimately for Jesus and to bring him glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inviting us to join in with your mission. We thank you that the gospel of Jesus changes everything. So may it continue to transform how we view our callings and how we live them out in glory to you as our worship to you. Father, were the whole realm of nature ours, it would be an offering far too small. For your love is so amazing and so divine. It demands our souls, our lives, our all. Father, we know that we can't do this in our own strength. So please, by your spirit, help us to this end, knowing that our worship is ultimately made perfect in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.